start with your question. Here we go. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Human Apologetics. Super pumped to join us today to have Dr. Robin Collins. He's a distinguished professor of philosophy and the chair of the Department of Philosophy at Messiah University in my amazing home state of Pennsylvania. Um, and yeah, we were talking about the interconnected, like, connection-building the the odyssey. So, Robin, thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing today? I'm good. Good, good. I'm excited. We're going to be talking about the problem of evil um, and theodicies in an article that you contributed to the Blackwell Companion to the Problem of Evil. Um, But before we get into it, do you want to talk a little bit about, like, who you are and what you do? Yeah, um, I'm Robin Collins, and um, I'm a professor, as I said, I'm a distinguished professor of philosophy at um, Masai University. I'm no longer department chair. Somebody else mm. took over that administrative role. Um, and I, my main area of focus is um, science and religion, philosophical theology, um, philosophy of science, and philosophy of physics. I'm most well known, not for the problem of evil, but for the fine tuning argument. So I've been. Um, for the existence of God. So um, I've spoken all over the place throughout the world on that. And I've worked on um, a lot of different topics, atonement, um, evolution, original sin, on the science and religion interface. Um, and currently, my really big project is how the universe is fine-tuned for scientific discovery, that the fundamental parameters were slightly different. Um, are it wouldn't be near as optimal for scientific discovery. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think whenever someone hears your name, they think, well, Robin Collins, that's the expert on fine-tuning, um, which is why I was happy to have you on and talk about a different topic that you've done a lot of work on. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm glad you did because I want to talk about, um, I think that's an important contribution that I want to be interviewed on. So. Yeah, definitely. So let's talk about like what led to the development of this connection-building theodicy that you wrote out a few years ago. Well, what led to the development when I first came to Messiah University, um, you know, you have a lot of flexibility on your teaching, what, what content you teach in philosophy classes, and a standard issue you would cover in, in not only um, philosophy religion, but just a general introductory philosophy course is the problem of evil. And so I, you know, went through um, all the major theodicies like free will, soul build, um, soul building, and then with critique in class, I had major problems with it. So start both of them and others, virtuous response theodicies. And so I was thinking, could I construct a theodicy that avoided those problems? And the core idea behind the connection building theodicy was to take the virtuous response theodicy that says that the greater good of why God allows evil is so that we can virtuously respond to it and give those virtuous responses an eternal value. And so um, because they did more, they're not just ephemeral. They just happen once. Like I virtuously respond to, you know, helping somebody. And then that's just a one-time thing that has no further good consequences. Um, But you see that those things, they survive in our memories. And there's an ongoing, um, like I said, in the theodicy uh, connection of appreciation contribution and intimacy um so there's these ongoing connections Mm. so that's kind of what led to it and eventually i published those ideas and um while teaching i would get i always encourage students to disagree with the professor because that's what philosophy is about critically evaluating ideas so students would then i'd want them to try to find problems with my theodicy and then eventually i you know, um, begin to present it at more professional places. Okay, yeah, that's super cool, and I love that. So I'm curious then, like, what exactly is the connection-building theodicy? You hinted at it a little bit when referencing, like, soul-building, but obviously there's a lot more layers to it. Um, so what is the theodicy? And then I think your camera's just a little bumpy, so I don't know if it's, like, moving a little bit. Um, oh, it's maybe because I have it on my lap, so I'll put it over here. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Awesome. So what is the connection-building theodicy? So the connection-building theodicy is the claim that um, uh, starts with the idea of virtuous response as to evil. So there's all kinds of evil we virtuous respond to, like helping somebody in time of need, um, 
there's forgiveness of somebody who's hurt us is another kind of virtuous response, or even helping people out of spiritual and moral darkness, like people, Christian missionaries or sharing the gospel for Christians with somebody would be helping somebody out of moral and spiritual darkness, risking your life for somebody, um, being with them in self-sacrificial love. So there's a whole bunch of ways we can virtually respond to evil. So as I said, this previously, those virtuous responses in themselves are only last for the time that they occur. And so if we imagine, let's say, there is no afterlife, for instance, then it's kind of hard to make a good case that those virtuous responses, even if we think they're good, outweigh the evil. Like, is the virtuous responses that people engaged in to help victims of the Holocaust, were those really, is it really plausible to think they outweigh the evil? So I wanted to look at, is there an eternal good that those lead to? Is there something more? Um, and, you know, virtuous responses, that's an abstract way of putting it. A more common way, just um, acts of love towards other people. That would very much fit it within the Christian framework of love being central. So do acts of love have more of an eternal value that goes beyond merely the act itself? And my claim is, is that when you start thinking about it, they do because there is um, this connection between people. And you see it in everyday, you see it in um, everyday um, life, you hear stories about it. For instance, if somebody um, in war times helps save somebody else's life, and then that person you know, they don't know who it was. Often they'll spend many years trying to find that person because they feel this connection of appreciation. We know in everyday life that the um, when you contribute to somebody else, that's one of the things that gives people the most happiness. There's a value to that, um, the contribution. But if our memories were wiped out, it seemed like that value would be, it'd be diminished. If, you know, right after everything happened, all the memories were wiped out, then there'd be something missing. So it seems like the ongoing memory of it contributes mm -hmm. to its value. So the idea is, is that even if there's just a little bit of value in, let's say, um, uh, for any, you know, period of time, let's say a day, having the memory of somebody helping you, um, or of, you know, you contributing. So there's a connection built between the people because there's this ongoing memory between of that happening. Ongoing conscious participation, I put it in that, that event. You might relive it in your mind. If that's of value, then if that goes on forever, that value is, is going to keep increasing. Mm -hmm. So... It'd be like an analogy would be an eternal toothache. Um, you know, if you had a toothache that were is would only last, let's say you knew it was going to last a week, and Dr. Collins was a, really um, the only dentist in town, and he did it the old-fashioned way, just use pliers to pull out the teeth, mm -hmm. and that was the only person you could go to, then you'd probably say, oh, forget it. You know, it just lasts for two, a week. But if you knew that unless you got it done by Dr. Collins, it was going to last forever, you would be there enduring the pain because why? The toothache, this disvalue would keep increasing. Mm -hmm. So th that's the idea in these connections. Their value um, keeps increasing. And so it's at least plausible to think they outweigh the evil. Um, required for these sorts of connections to occur. Mm. Okay, yeah, that's super helpful. I like the idea because um, you hit in the beginning about like different like acts like self-sacrifice or risking your life. Um, these acts of courage, which we see as good um, and like really good things, and but under like a very like meet like a basic soul building, it's like well that's just like a one-off event. Um, but when you really evaluate the nature of these connections, there is something like deeper, and it shows how like it's contributing to like almost like this cosmic story. Um, and as you hit it out, like this world's getting like progressively. Um, it's leading to even like greater and greater things. Is that is that kind of the idea? Yeah, that the, the connections are like a web. So there's many, many of them that interconnect you with other people. 
like in soul building, it's a single thing that the virtuous responses then lead to a single thing, a more um, loving a soul, a more courageous soul, a soul with better character. But these connections, each of them individually are of value. So if you deleted one of them, you'd be deleting something of value that goes on forever. So there's a web of connection. And then um, not only that, I, I stress when I keep, you know, talk about this, is that um, it's possible if everything were just good to create connections between people. Like if two people in a heavenly state, Jane and Jill, they've been there for a trillion years. Jane bakes Jill a cake with a trillion candles and takes her 20 years to do it. You know, Jill would be very appreciative. And so there'd be a connection of appreciation. But so those kind of connections can exist. One's based on just um, shared goodness without any evil. But certain kinds of connections, these that require like self-sacrifice, where you really have to suffer with the other person or um, helping the other person in their um, become from a state of, you know, a more reprobate state to a state of spiritual enlightenment or moral enlightenment, those kinds of connections where I really contribute to somebody else's life in that important way like the Apostle Paul did, you know, with his converts, those would be lacking um, if there weren't any evil. So you would get, a, if God created a world without any evil, you would get connections, but there wouldn't be any of sharing others' pains and things like that. Mm, yeah, that's great. Thank you. So I wonder then, like, Robin, what's so valuable about connections? Um, obviously, like, we're trying to, like, explain, like, why God allows evil. This is a very, like, big topic, and it's super important to answer because, you know, evil's all around us. Um, so, like, what makes connections so valuable um, that it might be worth, like, the evil that exists in the world? Well, I mean, I think the best answer to that is you can't ultimately say why one um, thing is intrinsically value, like happiness. You just perceive it as being a value. So when you, it's a hypothesis that connections are of intrinsic value. And then is that a well-founded hypothesis or not? Well, it seems to be well-founded because we actually value those connections. Like I said about contribution, we value having contributed to somebody else. It's like part of the meaning of our lives. If you think of meaning as, um, I think meaning, like I think there is an analogy between meaning of life and meaning of a sentence. Mm -hmm. um, so two aspects is it's something, your meaning of your life that's been oriented towards the production of good. And it's connected with something larger. Even if we've done good things, but it's not connected with others, we would feel there was something missing. So there, we perceive as these cases, like I said, of people finding, um, you know, uh, the person that helped them in times of war. Um, we, we see a marriage that has been, you know, somebody's been they've committed for 40 years. Um, we feel very good about what's happened. And we seek those connections all the time. So we seek them because... Uh, it's at least plausible to think that they're of value. Mm. So what I'd like to do now, Robin, is get to some objections. And then once we cover some objections, I think it's helps to like clear, clarify the theodicy and we'll get into some like practical implications. So what connect, what about connections that have like either like negative value or no value? Um, Cause we could talk about like good things that people do um, like helping people in need or having courage or things like this, but people can also point to a lot of like really bad things that people have done, harming other people, um, harming themselves, just different things that have like negative value or no value. So like, how does the connection building theodicy like address the many like negative connections that exist in the world? Well, there's two ways you could go and I'll prefer the second way. The mm -hmm. first way of going is those negative connections. Um, uh, just a second. Lost my train of thought. The first way of going is there uh, like a, a byproduct of what you, the kind of system that's required to have positive connections. So mm -hmm. the idea is if you create a world in which we can help other people and have the positive connections, then that's going to, as a necessary byproduct, it becomes possible for us to harm other people because there has to be 
to help other people. And to be of value, we have to have the choice of helping them over harming them. So that would be much like what the free will theodicy does in trying to explain why there's evil in the world. It says, well, God must create a world in which we have morally significant free choice, choice over good over evil. And God doesn't want the evil in itself, but the evil is a necessary byproduct. God must allow it to happen in order to get a world in which we make um, positive free choices. So that's mm -hmm. one kind of response, and I could you know, go that route. But I think there's another, even more powerful response, and that is I think negative connections can be um, encapsulated by something positive, so they could be turned around for good. So if one person hurts another, um, then that connection can be, um, you know, seriously hurt somebody else, the forgiveness that's a positive connection because forgiveness, when you've been seriously hurt, requires a lot of effort. It's not something easy to do. So the other person has to put their anger, their desire for vengeance aside and really wish the person that hurt them um, well. And so that creates a positive connection by letting go between the person who's um, for, um, forgiven and the forgiver. And the biggest instance you see of this, you know, within the Christian story is the atonement, mm. is that through Jesus's life, death, and resurrection, we were saved from sin and reconciled to God. So it was cost, the idea was costly for God. And so then you have this very positive connection, for example, the song that's usually sung is Amazing Grace, you know, how sweet the sound, and you know, in 10,000 years, I will still be singing, um, you know, um, his, um, about his grace. Um, you know, that's in John Newton's song, Amazing Grace. So to still be praising God, which is a positive thing, that, that kind of appreciation for being um, saved from sin and reconciled to God. So if there, God didn't allow any, you know, evil, in that case, you can also see in that case, there wouldn't have been any um, songs of praise for being saved out of evil. Now, I'm not, I wouldn't say that was the only reason God would allow evil. Um, mm -hmm. It'd be a little perverse, you know, to just allow it for that reason, like push, pushing a child in the water and then saving them from drowning, right? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, there has to be other reasons, but you get the idea. So there's yeah. this connection of, um, appreciation for being forgiven mm. and that encapsulates the evil so it turns it around and one hypothesis I have is that that's the reason Jesus stresses one of the reasons at least stresses the importance of forgiveness mm. yeah that's super good um, and it's helpful like thinking like in my own like way of just thought about the problem of evil going back to the atonement um, mm -hmm. like, all Christians want to affirm like this atonement is like this really great good um, and it's the most amazing thing like God's ever done for the world. And the question is kind of like, well, why? Um, and like you said, it's like the connect, like there's something there to the, con the connection of a negative thing, a bad event, something that was harmful, like Jesus on the cross, that's painful. That's bad. Um, being turned for something really good. Like, I think there's something really that, that clicks with me when I think about that. Um, so then I wonder the question then is what about like really extreme evils? Um, so we could look at something like the Holocaust, um, a horrific event um, with so much human suffering and so many people that have died. Um, so like, what about these very extreme evils? Cause you know, how do we like, how do you make sense of this in light of like a connection to the odyssey, especially when you want to say like um, negative events can be turned to good events. Okay. So in the case of the Holocaust, one response once again is those evils. Um, a lot of them um, led to all kinds of good connections, such as people, um, attempting to you know, help each other during the Holocaust, but also a lot of work's been done since then, huge amount of work to prevent that from happening again. So we are mm -hmm. beneficiaries of that, that that's not happened again, at least in the Western world. It ha there has been instances like that, like in the genocide in Rwanda, but it would have mm -hmm. been much more extensive if people hadn't worked to prevent it. 
So it's allowed a huge amount of contribution that we haven't experienced something like that, even though we're unaware of the contribution, why we haven't been in those situations. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is because people have worked very hard to keep prevent those things from happening. But those sorts of, there's also, a, I think, a, a, when I give the extreme evils objection, I like to give the hardest one the one that really seems hard to explain under connection-building theodicy. So there you can see various connections, positive connections that um, could develop. And there's also the connections of forgiveness in the case of the Holocaust. So in the article I have, I imagine a case in which um, there is... Okay, I'm next. I have to bend over to be in this position. Is there? You, you can readjust. Like, feel fine. You, it was yeah, pretty. It was um, fine before. So you're good. If you need to go back to the way you were, it's no biggie. I can. Um, yeah, it was jiggling. I could go to a table that's a little higher than this. Do whatever's best for you. Okay. Um, let me put go right over here. I'll sit right over here on this table. Step around. Okay. That way you won't get a jiggle. Okay. So that'll be better. Okay. So what I do is I imagine a case in um, like of a girl that's been captured as a sex slave, raped repeatedly, and then eventually is killed. And no one ever comes to rescue her in this life. So it seems like there's been no positive connection um, for her. So how do you deal with a case like that? Well, once again, you could say, well, that's just the cost of creating a world which allows for the sort of virtuous responses that leads to these connections. I don't find that um, completely um, satisfactory because for one reason is that it seems like it's using the girl her suffering, when, which God could have prevented, for somebody else's greater good, and not a good that um, um, that rebounds to her. And I think that there, there's sort of a problem in the region where Jim Sturber was talking about. Mm. So what I actually say in that case is there is opportunities for connection, first of all, on the cross. And I think just in general, God empathizes with our suffering. And but particularly on the cross, there was um, Jesus, not on the cross, but throughout the Christian teaching is Jesus is there in our suffering with us. So Jesus has experienced our suffering with us, um, or precisely God the Son has. And so that, first of all, creates an intimacy between God the Son, who's with us in our suffering even though we might not recognize it in the person who uh, suffers. Part of that, um, being imp- God's empathizing with us actually helps heal the trauma. Mm. I think um, that, I think you see this in the case of therapy and things like that, and you see it in everyday life. What people often need, you know, when they've experienced really deep suffering, what they first of all need is not somebody just to say, oh, it's going to be all right at the end, but somebody who could truly empathize with what they've gone through, to share that suffering with them, um, which empathy does to an extent. You're sort of, even if it's after the fact, you're there with them in that suffering. Um, So you've experienced it indirectly with them. Um, But then I also hypothesize um, that given human beings are communal, we're not just isolated. That's part of our nature to be in interaction and interdependence with other. That it could very well be the case that to be fully healed of suffering, we need another human being to empathize with us, enter into it in a deep level. And so I could imagine that happening in the afterlife, that others um, step forward to fully heal the girl that's experienced this by really entering into that suffering, sort of taking it upon themselves. Like, you know, there's stories of empaths that do this kind of thing. You know, mm. um, like Star Trek, the old generation, if you watch that, there was an episode about an empath 
who could take on other people's pains. Mm. So it's doing that, and then that heals the person. It's taking on their wound and make them, it's becoming your own, and you heal the person in that process. So there is all kinds of additional opportunities for connections, and maybe that will solve another problem. Some people die early or just don't have the opportunity in this life to develop um, lots of significant connections like that. Well, there'll be plenty of opportunity in, in the afterlife to do that mm. if this is right. Mm. Yeah, super helpful. Thanks for spelling that out. Um, so one thing I'm wondering about then is like some people could still push back and say like, hey, let's say like empathy is a very good thing. Like, yes, it is. Courage is a very good thing. Um, but we're talking about with the question of like why God allows evil. We're dealing with an omnipotent God, a God that can do anything, a God that's morally perfect. Um, so isn't it possible that, that God could create in like alternative routes with less evil and suffering um, while still having connections? Like going back to the case of that girl who goes through that horrific suffering, like couldn't she like maybe like empathy is good, but couldn't she have gone through less suffering, making it like less evil um, while still keeping like the connection that your thought the Odyssey wants to like hold to? So what are your thoughts on that? So my thoughts on that are you know, there's um, so there could be one scenario is no evil at all, evil at all. and then there's only pos- um, connections based on positive experiences like you know Jill baking the cake for um, Jane in the heavenly state. Then in that case, there's a whole bunch of connections that are just missing. And if those connections are goods that we share sufferings with other people, those goods are missing. So that's one scenario. That's the answer to that. But one might also wonder, well, okay, Grant, there needs to be some evil, but these such serious evils, why why doesn't God just somehow behind the scenes stop those evils? Why, how could they... um, contribute. Um, and so what I want to say, you know, because there still could be evil trans, what I call evil transformative connections, connections, these positive connections that come out of evil and suffering people endure. So one of my theses there is that it's a sort of subsidiary thesis, is that to some extent, um, the deeper the pain and suffering and the more a person has to go through to help the person out of that suffering, the stronger the connection. So mm-hmm. if I just help you with the toothache and maybe take you to the dentist or something, and I, I maybe pay for your dentistry $100 or so, right, to get your tooth, or several hundred because you're a poor student, okay? <laughs> and, you know, there's some connection of appreciation, but it's a much deeper connection, let's say, um, somebody's, let's say, buried to somebody else, and they go through a 20-year illness. And I actually knew a pastor, who this was the case with, his wife had a 20-year um, multiple sclerosis, and he was always there for her. So they were there for the other person, willfully, for 20 years. That's going to be a lot deeper connection. Mm-hmm. So there's deeper connections um, that can occur in this way. Now, of course, there's going to be a limit. I don't know where the balance is between when the, you know, the positivity of those connections outweighs the evil. Mm. But at least, you know, that's, once again, a plausible hypothesis. I'm not, when doing this theodicy, I keep saying plausible hypothesis. I'm not saying this is the end-all answer to why there's evil. I think the role of a theodicy is to give a plausible hypothesis, plausible set of reasons why God might allow evil. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. Thank you for bringing it up, Robin. So here's a here's a way of something I want to think about um, for a little bit here. And this is the question of like hell. Um, so I'm wondering about like, so we have the connection building theodicy where like um, we think about like connections are building towards good things. And like, even like the negative connections are building towards things, maybe even that might have like goods in the future, um, things like that. Even like you talked about like the girl going through horrendous suffering here, you're talking about her having like an afterlife in heaven where she can like heal and like have empathy in these things that are, that are good. So what about hell? The idea that like for some people, maybe their life and their choice and their connections are leading to like either annihilation or like an eternal torment. Like would this challenge the connection building theodicy? How does hell factor into what Well, you the hell does challenge the connection building theodicy. Because those people, if you that are either annihilated or are existing in hell, are not having positive connections, right? Mm-hmm. So one in, and 
people in the heavenly state that might have helped them. There's no positive connections there. So there's these negative connect, either zero connections. So they're, they're, the bad things that happen to them are unredeemed by further positive connections. Or um, there's negative connections that go on forever that are unredeemed. That said, I think hell is a problem for, eternal hell is a problem for any theodicy. So any theodicy has to deal with it because there is um, he uh, suffering and morally reprobate actions that go on forever. Or there's some people's, the, the good of them, you know, um, continuing to exist is lost because um, they see, um, God allows them to cease to exist. Uh, I think of annihilationism more as conditional immortality because I think God is upholding everybody's existence. So God just quits doing that. So it's not like God is annihilating you where you would have otherwise continued to exist. So I think it's better called conditional um, immortality. Mm. But in any case, there's a problem for um, everyone. Now, I, I think actually... Um, if you follow the New Testament teaching, universalism is the most plausible position. And that's because there's so many verses that talk about, you know, um, you know in, like Romans 5.18, um, as uh, death um, entered the world through one man and therefore all died, then, you know, um, through the action of one man, Christ, all will be made alive. And the alls are used in highly parallel context. So, if the one all means everyone, it seems like the other one should. Now, against that is the usual passages of eternal punishment or eternal torment. But if you actually look at that word, the most common word is aeonios, which is um, tra uh, literal translation would be of the ages. It comes from eon, which means uh, either a long or indefinite period of time. Um, it's the plural adjective of that. So I think a plausible interpretation of that is having the quality of the age to come. And that's of the ages. They thought in that time, two ages, one now and one the future age. And so it has quality of the future age. The future age is the age in which God's will is done. So it's punishment that fulfills God's will. Mm -hmm. And so under that, most of, you know, virtually all of them, disappear on the eternal punishment um, view. And uh, the argument, and I haven't seen this, uh, this um, response to the argument that's commonly used to say, well, they have to both mean eternal because in Matthew 25, it says the sheep go off to eternal life and the um, goats to eternal punishment. Therefore, the eternal must refer to, um, refers to an in, uh, infinite length of time in the one case, life it must in the case of punishment. But that line of argument, I see it over and over again to support this idea is just plain faulty. Um, here's a counterexample to it. Um, two people show up before the judge. The one person is a pickpocket and the other person is a murderer. And the judge says, I'm going to give you the appropriate, the, um, the mandatory sentence um, for your crime. Well, the mandatory sentence in the one case of the pickpockets may be a you know, week in jail. Mm -hmm. The mandatory sentence for the murderer is life in prison. So you can't argue that because they use the same word man or phrase, mandatory sentence, if it picks out life imprisonment in one case, it doesn't, it does in the other. The only way you could argue that is if mandatory sentence was a term referring to a period of time, but that's what the universalists deny. They deny it's um, eternal is referring to a period of time. Instead, they say it's referring to um, uh, the uh, quality of the age to come. So I just think the argument's not a good argument. I haven't seen another good argument for thinking that. And that's part of the reason is, you know, there was early people in the church like Gregory of Nyssa, who was well aware of the New Testament and the Greek, closer to the Greek than we are. 
pure universalist and did not translate it forever and ever. So mm -hmm. all said, I think that the New Testament actually on scriptural grounds supports universalism. The only hang-up I have in that is libertarian free will, um, which, um, you know, gives me some, some, you know, could what could God do if somebody just simply refused? Mm. So, but I have yeah. various things there I could say, but I won't go into them. But the big overarching thing is that hell is just a problem for theodicy, period, not particularly for the connection to the theodicy. Because mm. yeah, you just yeah. have unredeemed evil. Mm. And that's why, that's one of the reasons, you know, people now there's a big movement towards universalism. So there's a lot of Christians who are universalists now in like the last 20 years. Um, and it's partly because of this reason. Mm. Yeah, that's super good. Um, so then in your view, you're going to say, well, the Bible, or not the Bible, but the Bible, like it it's pushes towards like this universalism um, is true, which is going to really help out your connection building theodicy. Like, would you say like it, your theodicy, is it incompatible with like a version of hell, like of like eternal conscious torment or annihilationism? Or do you think there's room there, even though you wouldn't hold? There's room there. It would just be that we wouldn't, um, either of those connections would be non-existent or, okay. or would be negative. We would have memories of loved ones that were forever, you know, um, in hell. So it'd be a kind of negative connection mm -hmm. or God would, you know, um, eliminate that um, mm -hmm. memory. Now, I, I think the elimination of memory problem, and William Wayne Craig suggests this, is a real problem because if you like, you have a child, Mary, let's say, who you raised and loved, and she ends up in hell. And God erases that memory. God's going to almost have to erase your, the entire memory of your yeah. earthly life because all the memories are interconnected. Mm -hmm. you know, what was I doing those 20 years? Yeah. <laughs> what was I doing all those years? <laughs> I have a family. Yeah. Um, and so you'd have a memory which would be a Swiss cheese not a really continuous memory. So I think there's really bad consequences uh, if you take that route. So mm, I would yeah. say, you know, there's general problems. Maybe you can make them compatible that, um, but or just maybe you just leave the negative connections and mm. just the positive connections there are just vastly outweigh the negative connections. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that, that, there's something to that, seeing the positive connections outweigh them, especially if you think about the nature of heaven being eternal, um, eternal bliss and all the ways we can kind of like reflect on our things and yeah there's definitely some well, if you took Lewis's C.S. Lewis's view which is what's called the natural consequence view and he doesn't think that um, people um, they're like he thinks of a personhood is almost gone for those in hell mm. because that's what he interprets destruction as so when you destroy a log for example, in a fire, he says, it do the log doesn't entirely disappear, it becomes ashes. Mm. So they're, the people in hell are ghosts of people, barely, they're barely something left. So mm. there's not much to connect with anymore mm. for yeah. those people. So then it might weaken, you know, then he might think it's plausible to think these positive connections between fully realized human beings are much more they're good it far outweighs the evil so there's ways you could you could probably um take a natural consequent view and the connection building theodicy so i don't mm -hmm. deny that there's ways of doing that mm. yeah that's great so one question i have moving away from objections now is like how is this connection building theodicy going to lead like practical impl implications in like our own lives um so we think about the value of like love and self-sacrifice and good relationships how is this like how does this play out in like our day-to-day -day lives is we live as Christians in this world. Right. Okay. So one thing it put it gives love an eternal value. Mm -hmm. That um, that's one thing it does. So it it gives it puts an umph behind those scriptural passages where it talks about love one another. You can see how important that is. Mm -hmm. And so that's how it could play out um, in your life. Now Here's just an example of how it's played out uh, like a year ago in, in my wife and I um, life. There was somebody we knew that was um, in need and um, we were thinking about contributing a significant amount of money 
to um, her GoFund, GoFundMe account. Yeah. And then the question came up. My wife said, well, should we do it anonymously? Oh, Jesus says, don't, you know, show your good deeds before men. Mm. And then I said, well, you know, the thing is, though, um, if we give it and we give it, you know, and she knows who it is, that will build a connection of appreciation starting in this life. Now, of course, you would have one starting in the next life, but the sooner the better. Mm-hmm. And so that was a practical a practical implication. And based on that, we decided to, um, you know, actually just write out the check based on the idea of building connections. And all the time we talk about, well, whether we should do this or that, um, well, we should do this because it will build positive connections. Be generous here. It's going to build positive connections. So just, you know, recently I bought a whole bunch of, these are very small, but they're actually, it shows how much influences, you know, live life. So I bought a bunch of uh, peaches. They were like not very much more expensive or twice as many. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, why not buy twice as many? We can give them to our neighbors. Mm-hmm. So we give them to our neighbors. That's building positive connections with our neighbors. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I just think now in those, and she does in those terms, Mm-hmm. Um, all of our actions, how they're building positive connections. So you act in such a way as to um, build positive connections with others and even, you know, creation and animals. You can think of, you can extend it on. And I think it makes a lot of sense of certain things in the Bible. Like why does God use indirect means like to help Daniel? You know, mm-hmm. Daniel prayed for wisdom. Well, the Holy Spirit could have just given, you know, zap lightning bolt to his brain and there is the wisdom he needs or mm-hmm. Paul in prison, you know, he's in prison and God could have zapped him out of prison. Instead, God sends angels. Why the intermediaries? Well, the intermediaries are there because you get further connections, right? Mm-hmm. If the angels have to work like you have in the book of Daniel, um, the angels work. Archangel Michael had to battle um, the Prince of Persia for like 30 days or something. So it clear it had to put out effort. So we can imagine the angels having to even maybe suffer a little bit to get to help us. Now, they'd be more than glad to suffer, but they were they are suffering. And so now there's a connection of appreciation with the angels and they get a connection of contribution. Mm. So you can apply it there and you can make sense of all kinds of things like why, why didn't God just zap and give everybody the gospel? You know, you know zip, zap the Apostle Paul all over the world or mm. some other means. Well, part of the answer there is that we have to put forward effort. We have to develop missionary societies. We have to donate. The donation, there's all these different connections occur, you know, from the donor to who goes out, the person that goes out, so on and so forth. Mm. So it has this kind of explanatory power and by that, a sort of practical implication. Mm. It reminds me of like um, Ephesians 5, 2, where it says like, walk in love as Christ loved us. Um, and to me, like, I'm like, that's, there's something really like that hits hits me here where it's like, um, I was even listening to a podcast by this guy who philosophized this, and he's talking about like German philosophers from the 1800s who talked about um, just like love and stuff. And like love is so, it's such a good thing. And it's something mm-hmm. that we don't, if, you know, you can choose, you can try to love everyone. Obviously, you can't, but like you, you can really just try to live out love. Like you talked about getting the extra peaches for your neighbor, just doing the little thing like that, make a big difference in just showing love towards people. And it builds those positive connections, which are a good thing because the world's a lot better when we're loving each other. You're, you have a different attitude. See, here's another, this is a more global. You have a different attitude towards yourself and others. I think the key to moral behavior is not to see yourself interest as opposed to other interest. Yeah, that's good. So what we, what the connection building theodicy says is, um, and how it fits in with now the soul building theodicy, is part of what we are is our connections with others. No person's an island. Mm. So we're all interdependent on whether that's part of what we mm. are. So as we, um, as we develop connections with others, our self actually expands to include them. Mm. So as we empathize and share the sorrows and joys, as Apostle Paul tells us to do, 
with others in the body of Christ, our self expands to include those. So that becomes part of a remarkable thing about human beings is we can vicariously put ourselves in the place of another. And that's why we enjoy movies, right? Because the characters getting, you know, running, we feel scared. Or when good things happen to them, we feel good things happen to us. Or if your football team wins, you vicariously identified as part of yourself with the football team. So you feel like a winner. Mm -hmm. I mean, that can go wrong if, you know, your nation goes to war and wins, then you feel like a winner when they maybe didn't have a very good cause. Um, but it should go all the way to um, God is identifying with something larger, including other human beings. So our self expands. So instead of being the small self, which only cares about itself, it expands. So we then, when we take that attitude, we see that helping others, we don't pit their interests against ours anymore. Um, and that, you know, has all kinds of implications for our practice in everyday life. Mm, that's really good. Yeah, I love that. So let's get a couple of things here before we um, close up shot. Um, how can, like, the interconnected theodicy, like, how can this help us in answering the problem of divided hiddenness and wondering, like, where is God in this world? Okay, so, I mean, let me give a, let me give another standard answer, and I think the two go nicely together. Mm -hmm. Another standard answer is with the um, free will and soul-building theodicy is that we can't be too aware of God, otherwise that would inhibit our free choice. Mm -hmm. So, um, for example, um, an analogy is used. If I'm driving down the road and the speed limit is 65 miles an hour and I see a, a police officer in my rear view mirror, I can't really freely choose to drive 65 because I want to be a law-abiding citizen for the right reason. Mm -hmm because seeing that police officer kind of obscures, it doesn't allow me to do it for the right reason. So if God was too present, like we felt like God was right there, then we couldn't really have that choice to do the right thing um, because it's the right thing. Mm -hmm. So that's one common reason that makes a lot of sense, but it doesn't make the problem with it is it, a lot of people during the Middle Ages, you know, that was what they were taught is Christianity. So at least the gospel was available to them, or at least the, um, that there was Jesus, whatever you think of the gospel during that period. Um, just belief in God was common. The gospel had already got to them. So it doesn't explain why so many people don't know about God, don't haven't heard the gospel, etc., so what the connection building theodicy adds this to it it says why did god use the method of evangelism you know why didn't god simply send the apostle paul let's say to tip him all over the world to the chinese or angels or some other means i mean apostle paul it wouldn't have been god directly present to um, he could have made him even look chinese right and just preach the gospel right mm -hmm. uh so why didn't God do that? Why use inefficient human beings? So what we, I think we're forced to say is God wants us to be the instruments of other people's salvation. Um, and then, well, what's the good about that? So ask the next question. What's so good about us being instruments where the connection building the Odyssey gives you the good, right? Because we develop a particular kind of connection uh, which is a really important connection, we form part of what the person becomes. They're what they become as a spiritual being and even a moral being. So one of the greatest ways you can help somebody is by helping them grow morally and spiritually. Mm. And so that gives us a, a huge opportunity to do that. So we become, as the Apostle Paul said about the people he preached to, he said, I am your, you know, spiritual father. So it's the analogy between the father or mother relationship and children. Just like, and that's, you know, fits in with connection building once again, with what I call the child rearing system. Mm -hmm. So why God did it by be a child rearing? Well, because 
you know, that gave us opportunities to really input into other people's lives, parents to the children and ancestors to um, those that followed them. So there's this whole string of connection that's, you know, for like what Apostle Paul did is ever expanding out. So what he did now, I'm a beneficiary of it. Mm. Because if it wasn't for him, I doubt there would have been a New Testament or any of this yeah. stuff. So what the early Christians did, missionaries did, all those did, I am a beneficiary of it. So there's this expanding mm. out set of connections mm. um, that occur and a kind of connection that wouldn't have been possible. All that kind of connection wouldn't have been possible without um, God allowing people to be in spiritual darkness. Now that, that I just want to bring up a quick objection people might raise to that. Well, if you, if you think that uh, view called um, John Sanders called restrictivism that all those who haven't heard the gospel are going to hell, then it doesn't seem the good outweighs the evil. Mm-hmm. But I think that's just an enormously impossible position. Because um, mm-hmm. if God could have got the gospel to them, then God really loves them. God is not going to allow the missionary who had a flat tire to um, determine whether they are the tribe is saved or not and the people go to yeah. heaven or hell so i think there's mm-hmm. multiple reasons that that view is um really problematic another reason is that it turn, turns the gospel from good news to bad news like if you were preaching to a tribe whose parents the person whose parents and brothers had just died, sisters that just died you'd have to say i'm sorry you know you you, you can get saved now but I'm very sorry to tell you this, but all your loved ones, they're eternally being tormented. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be very, very bad news to those people. Mm-hmm. And missionaries never did that. They never, you know, missionaries had to change what they said because uh, you can't just, you're not going to get any converts that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's all kinds of problems with, I don't, I don't think it's really even supported by scripture. So I say all that, that, um, here you have this good that can come um, from God using us, just like God uses us for other things, developing medicines. So it's God does things through intermediaries inside the system instead of directly outside the system, instead of intervening directly, typically because that builds more connections. Mm. Yeah, that's great. So one more objection I want to address here is like how is this going to help us in addressing like religious diversity like how do we like look at the interconnectedness the odyssey in light of like differing like religious traditions all around the world okay i think what you know god has allowed um that kind of diversity throughout the world um and the reason is at least from the perspective of the connection building the odyssey is that um they must depend on us and we must depend on them that have a full view of the truth. So there's things we have, like I believe that, you know, in the uniqueness of the atonement of Jesus, I think Christians need to affirm that. Mm-hmm. So all, all religions are equally paths to truth. There's something unique about the necessity of, or the benefits of the atonement that is important. But that doesn't mean other religions don't have insights to offer us. So to reach a full sort of understanding of our own faith, we need to take into account other people's points of view. So there's not only diversity of religions, but there's diversity. Remember, there's also huge diversity within Christianity itself. Mm, Yeah. There's all kinds of denominations. So that is equally a pressing question. Why that diversity? Well, I, I see it as an opportunity for us to get together and learn from each other and by doing so, we come to a more full sense of the truth, that it, it, the full redemption is not going to occur until we do that. Mm-hmm. So okay, so, I, yeah. so I want to just say one other thing about that, the interesting and cultural diversity and fine-tuning, because mm-hmm. it actually connects the two together. Yeah. So when I was thinking about fine-tuning, and I was imagining changing like the gravitational constant, and to change the gravitational constant, the amount by which um, Newton's constant of gravity in his equation, then life-permitting planets either get smaller or larger. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, if they get smaller, there's clear effects that you can't really, it, you can't get a decent environment. But they could have been a lot larger planet. But if we had, a, let's say, a planet 100 times as large, we wouldn't have had a sense of global community. We would have, um, because I couldn't, I just recently flew to um, um, the UK, took me eight hours from Philadelphia. It would have taken, if the world was 10 times as large, 800 hours or 80 hours, 100 times as large, 800 hours really wouldn't be feasible anymore. Mm. So what we are, we are at this very unique point where we have maximal, within the small region of planetary size where we have maximal cultural diversity while still having a sense of a unified human community. Yeah. Hmm. So it's kind of a maximal diversity, inter- and that allow- the diversity allows for interconnection. So there's maximal interconnection while still allowing integration. Hmm. And when yeah. we have a lot of that kind of thing, a lot of diversity with integration, we call that beautiful. That's what makes beautiful music, right? There's variety around but that's integrated together into a whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's really good. And I think that there's something to that when thinking about the idea that like we're all different um, and like if you look at like evil and hiddenness and diversity is opportunities that allow us to come together and form like new bonds and have like new encounters that are good, that come out of love. Um, it can progress us like closer to truth. And I think it's something that you can hold and like be a Christian and say like salvation comes through the cross, um, but also recognize like interacting with people of other faiths. Like that's a good thing that we can do. And as Christians, you, hopefully all Christians would assume that's a good thing that we can do to interact with them. So yeah, I think that's great. So. I also should say the connection building theodicy, it gives one possible explanation of why God used an evolutionary process. Mm. And the idea is what I call ancestral interconnections. It connects us with all life on earth. We're ultimately connected with biologically. Mm. And so that becomes really expands ourselves, not just to other people, but to include all life on yeah. earth. And there's some, and then it's through us. I think Romans eight teaches this. Actually, you know, it's that um, creation will be liberated from its bondage to frustration. That's Romans like eight twenty, mm-hmm. um, and share in the glorious liberty of the children of God. Yeah. Our liberty comes through our redemption. We're the part of creation that became self-aware and directly aware of God. Mm-hmm. So it's through us that all creation will share in this glorious liberty. That's a lot very close to Eastern Orthodox thinking, which thinks creation itself was sharing what they call the energies of God, the life of God. Mm. So um, that allows that to us to interconnect in that way. And if people want to have more reading on this, well, I explicated this in years ago in a, a thing in the, um, Oxford Handbook on Philosophical Theology. But just recently, I don't know if it's published yet or not, jo- philosopher Josh Rasmussen has taken up that idea and developed it a lot more in an mm. article in Zygon, which mm. is a journal of science and religion. So mm. the whole thing could be developed. And I think that um, Bethany um, S., the person you had on a while yeah. ago, she also talked about that interdependence. That would just be another name that, that was part of the good that was realized by, mm. um, by uh, God created by evolutionary process. Mm. Uh, so what you get is all this, there's a lot of already interdependence in nature. Those are kind of connections that are already there. That's been the general direction of evolution. So there is competition. That's the negative side. When nature is fully redeemed, the competition will be turned around to the negative kind of competition mm. to interdependence, yeah, which is connection. Mm. So we're, we're, we're so go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say that's super good. So yeah, go go ahead. So it has a. I mean, it has a potential very large scale explanatory power. So mm. although I say I say at the article that it's just what among many goods. Um, I actually think it, you know, it's more than just adding additional goods. It's actually gets to a, a, one of the major reasons mm-hmm. um, why God has allowed evil. I don't want to say the only reason because I think God is so smart. 
<laughs> God is so wise. There might be manifold reasons, so I don't mm -hmm. want to be go beyond that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, this has been great. Thank you so much, Robin, and I really appreciate your time. Uh, as you wrap up here, is there anything like any last thoughts or things you want to say before we're done for the day? Um, yeah, you can. Um, my article, I think I have a preprint on the web. It's been printed in. It, it's only really an article form, but it's a very condensed article. So mm -hmm. uh, it has a lot of points in a short amount of space. So um, be aware of that. It says a lot and you'll have to think about it. It's a little more in the direction of, um, not to scare anybody away, but you know, you know, mathematics text, you often, if you're reading literature text, you might read a, a college course, you might read 100 pages you know, for the next assignment. Mm -hmm. But a mathematics textbook, you'll know, read one page because <laughs> <laughs> things are so condensed. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's condensed, and I lay the whole thing out with objections. Um, a lot of what I said here, but more fully in that article. Mm -hmm. And I'll put a link to the whole book in the description so people can right. check it out if they're interested. So, Black yeah, Book and the Problem of Evil. Mm -hmm. It's a great book. So thank you so much, Robin, for coming on. I appreciate your time. Um, it's been such a great conversation. So thank you so much. I just really appreciate your time and all your hard work. So thank you for coming on today. All right. Uh, when will it be available? This will be available in... A few days, so I'll email you the okay. link when it comes out. So, okay, yep. great. All right, all right, bye, bye.